Welcome to the Good Reading Podcast, proudly sponsored by Book People Gift Cards. A Book People Gift Card is the perfect gift for readers of all ages. Simply order your gift card online at bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au. Redeem in any one of over 500 bookshops across Australia. Visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au. Hello and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Professor Phil Hansbro is an internationally recognised research leader in the study of respiratory diseases, including asthma, emphysema and lung cancer. Professor Hansbro is the Deputy Director of the Centenary Institute and the Director of the Centenary UTS Centre for Inflammation. Today, I'm joined by Professor Phil Hansborough to talk about his new book, The Good Gut Anti-Inflammatory Diet. Professor Hansborough, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Phil, the good gut anti-inflammatory diet strikes a nice balance between examining the scientific research and good, simple, practical advice. But let's start with the science and one thing in particular, and what is perhaps the focus of this book, inflammation. In medical terms, what is it and how might an individual experience inflammation? So inflammation is a fundamental mechanism of protecting our bodies, and it's designed to protect us from infection. So whenever we're challenged with a virus or a bacteria or anything, then that creates signals that brings in immune cells into a particular area that has been infected. And then that area and the immune cells that come in release an inflammatory response. And so this often includes enzymes and chemicals that are designed to kill these bacteria and viruses and stop the infection. 200 years ago, 25% of children used to die from infection. Now we have vaccines and, and treatments that um, then stop us dying from infection by inducing these controlled immune responses. You make the distinction between good inflammation and chronic inflammation. How can inflammation have both a positive effect and yet be a potential killer? Good inflammation is uh, designed and acts to stop us getting these infections with bacteria and viruses. But under some circumstances, this inflammatory response and these this inflammation continues over time and it's increased uh, in the wrong direction. That then affects our tissues instead of the bacteria and the viruses. So these enzymes have bystander effects on our own cells and tissues. And so if we've got this increased inflammation, that continues to damage our own cells and tissues causing inflammatory disease in whatever tissues are affected. So there we're talking what you label systemic inflammation. So once you get systemic inflammation, then you've got then constant inflammation in your bloodstream, for example, that then gets transported to all the different parts of your body and it will infect all your different parts of your cells and tissues. And what common diseases that we might know of is inflammation responsible for? Well, it's actually most diseases, if not all diseases, have got an inflammatory component to them. So some are really primarily driven by uh, inflammation. So things like chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or emphysema, asthma, arthritis, inflammatory bowel disease, lots of different kinds of diseases. that, that are, The ones that we talk about every day are really all underpinned by inflammation. So you're saying pretty much everything. Virtually everything, not not completely, but but the vast majority, yes. Part of this book is about preventing uh, that inflammation and or assisting the good inflammation. 
we know that inflammation is part of our natural immune defense system, but how does chronic inflammation lead to disease? What's the mechanism? So if you take emphysema, for example, that's often induced by exposure to cigarette smoke or air pollution, um, bushfire smoke, for example. Our respiratory tract then thinks that's a bacteria that's trying to kill us. So you get all this inflammatory response coming in to try and get rid of this bacteria. And what that does is then it damages our tissue. Now, if this happens once, that's fine. Our tissue recovers and it goes back to what it was before. But if it happens over and over and over again, you get these repeated exposures and repeated bouts of inflammation that then cause damage to the tissue and the tissue can't keep up. So it can't keep up the speed of being wounded and then being repaired. And so what happens then is you get excessive death of the cells of those tissues that then cause the destruction of the lung tissue that leads to emphysema, or you get wounding and scarring of these tissues, like in the airways, and then that leads to fibrosis around the airways. So it's this chronic inflammation rather than just the acute one-off thing that actually causes these long-term diseases. And so it takes takes 20 years, 20, 40 years to develop emphysema, for example. Our immune system has an immune memory. How does that work? So the immune memory is, again, it's designed to protect us against bacteria and viruses and other pathogens. And this is what is induced by vaccines as well. And so what it does is when we're born, we've not been exposed to anything. Okay, And so we have an immediate immune response. It's called an innate immune response that's not really specific to that pathogen. Um, and so it tries to get rid of it the best way it can. Now, once we've been exposed to that pathogen, we have these specific immune cells that develop, and they develop specific antibodies and other responses that are totally specific against the components of that bacteria or virus that you've been exposed to. So then the next time you're exposed to that same bacteria or virus, that adaptive immune response that's already been trained to specifically respond to that bacteria or virus can really rapidly mount a protective response and mount a much more effective response to that bacteria or virus. And we can mimic those bacteria and viruses with vaccines, for example, to induce this adaptive immune response. So does immune memory work both positively and negatively? Can we have a negative response through the process of immune memory? Yes, we can. And so this is what leads to a lot of autoimmune diseases. And so what autoimmune diseases are, they the antibodies that have been developed uh, against um, bacteria or viruses or even smoke or pollution, they become cross-reactive to our own components. So then instead of seeing our own components as being our own selves, they see it as foreign and then they start to attack it. And so that's what leads to autoimmune diseases and arthritis and diabetes and all these other kinds of diseases. Your book lists a long line of culprits that have the potential to cause chronic inflammation, which, as you said, can lead to disease, and they include air and water pollution, destruction of the natural environment, microplastics, and overuse of pesticides and antibiotics, just to name a few. 
Many of these are beyond our immediate control, as you say in the book, but you indicate there is one area we can control, and that's what we put into our bodies, and specifically the gut. What does the scientific research show about the role of the gut in our immune system? The gut is is crucial. And so our gut is um, populated by large numbers of bacteria. Feces, for example, is 30% bacteria. So that tells you how abundant and how much of the mass that they make up in our gastrointestinal tracts. And these bacteria, they're there to help us digest our food and take in nutrients from our food. So that's where we get all our nutrients that help us grow and survive. And so what they do is they break down these food products and into various metabolites that then get, get absorbed by the gut wall into our bloodstream, and then all these nutrients then, then get transported around our bodies to all our different cells and tissues. So that means that the gut is an entry point for anything damaging that can then get transported everywhere around our bodies. But it can also be an entry point for really beneficial things as well. Now, all these bacteria, they have a particular set of foods that they eat, and each one is different. Um, and so the particular food we eat will grow a particular set of bacteria that release a, a particular set of nutrients and metabolites and some bad things as well. So the food that we eat alters the gut bacteria, then alters the things that are taken up through our gut wall that can either be then beneficial or damaging to the rest of our bodies. I want to talk about zombie cells. They're not a lockup for the walking dead, but they do play an important role in the process of aging. Inflammaging is the term you use. What are zombie cells? How do I kill them? But what is inflammaging? Zombie cells are really the result of a process that we call senescence. And when we're young and as we're growing and whatever, we have the constant growth and death of all our cells in our body. So they get replenished. And the lung and the gut are particular areas of high cell turnover. And we need this to replenish our tissues that get damaged and to keep our tissues healthy. But as we get older, these processes don't work as well. And so these cells, they don't die naturally. And they, and they don't die and they hang around much longer than they should. And they stop doing the functions that they were there to do. So they become these zombie cells or senescent cells. And, and these are often become inflammatory as well because they don't die normally. Now, when cells die normally, they go through this process of what's called programmed cell death. That's the natural process of cell death. The cells die in a natural way. And then they're eaten by some of our immune cells. Um, and then they are disposed of and all the nutrients in those cells are recirculated into our bodies. And that is what's called immunologically silent. So it does not induce an immune response. But when our cells don't die naturally, they kind of rot away and they release components of their cells that then induce inflammation. They're not taken up normally by the by these cells that eat cells that die normally. And so you've got these components of these zombie cells that float around inducing inflammation um, that then elevate the background level of inflammation in our bodies. 
You are what you eat, or more correctly, you and your microbiome are what you eat. We've all heard the term, increasingly so in recent years, but what is it and how is it connected to and how does it influence inflammation? So the microbiome, really what that comprises is all of the microorganisms in a particular tissue. Most people think about bacteria when they talk about microbiomes, but it also includes fungi and protozoa and all the different types of microorganisms, but not just the microorganisms, but what they produce as well. So all their components, all their metabolites, um, all those kind of things are considered the microbiome. And so this is what hangs out in your gut and in your mouth and in your lungs or whatever, and then has influence on your tissues. So if your microbiome is healthy, that has a really healthy association with us and helps to keep us healthy. It stops us getting infections and it keeps inflammation um, functional, but under control. But if we damage our microbiome, then it becomes damaging as well and damages our tissues and induces inflammation that then drives a lot of these disease processes. I think you speak of the gut as a competitive environment. In a competitive environment, there are winners and losers. So who should we barrack for? So we should barrack for um, the bacteria that produce anti-inflammatory factors that stimulate our immune response, but don't cause damaging infections there's a whole set of specific bacteria that are that are beneficial that keep us healthy uh, whereas there's a lots of pathogens that we know about that cause disease and damage that we've been talking about our microbiome is dynamic and individually distinct is what you write and that suggests that our digestive systems are unique and might react differently to different foods but there does seem to be one hero fiber what is the role of fiber in producing a healthy, dynamic microbiome? Yeah, so fibers, fiber is very healthy for us. And why that's important is because we take fiber into our diets and we have this, these populations of bacteria in our guts that are then able to ferment this fiber. So we can't break this fiber down on our own. We need these bacteria to do it for us. And when they break down this fiber and they ferment it, they produce a whole range of metabolites that are anti-inflammatory and they're beneficial for us. And so these metabolites that they produce, again, they go through the gut wall and into our bloodstream. And these metabolites combined then to pro-inflammatory receptors on our immune cells. And when they do that, they reduce the responses from these receptors and they dampen down the inflammation that's induced by those inflammatory cells. The inflammatory cells are still there, but they're kind of quietened down, so they're not, they're not pro-inflammatory and they're not causing an inflammatory disease. So that's how these beneficial microbes digest this fibre to keep us primed and healthy but not inflamed. So my bowl of muesli containing barley and oats, I should continue with? Absolutely. That's the best thing you can do in the morning. So how do I know if I have a healthy microbiome? What are the signs of a healthy microbiome? And for that matter, of an unhealthy gut? A healthy microbiome is really indicated by the fact if you are healthy and you don't have any problems, you don't need to go to the doctors very much, you don't need medications, you're quite fit, um, you don't have any gastrointestinal issues, you're regular. Here's a rather crude question. What should my shit look like if I'm healthy? 
Sure. So um, it, should, it should be regular and it shouldn't be too sticky because that means that you've taken in too many fats. Some people say that it should float as well because that's a that's a good sign if you're taking in lots of fibre. If it's too red, then you've been having too much wine the night before. <laughs> and uh, what are the signs of a really unhealthy biome? That's when you're, you're often sick. You've got some inflammatory diseases. You've got inflammatory bowel disease, for example, that gives you, you have a lot of diarrhea or you get constipated is the opposite. And so, and any kind of inflammatory disease that you might have, arthritis, asthma, they're all contributed to by having a, a, a microbiome that predisposes to inflammation and disease. Let's get to another word that's critical in this discussion, diet. And your book uses that word in its title. But in what sense do you use that word? And how do you want readers to think about the word diet? By a diet, we don't necessarily mean that you're on a diet. Okay, really, that we're using diet in this context as what you take in to your bodies as food and drink. That's what we mean by diet in this context. And you write about diets from around the world in this book, uh, the Mediterranean diet, the traditional Asian diet, among others. But you label the Western diet as an inflammatory time bomb. What makes it so dangerous? When we were evolving in temperate or, or tropical climates, then we had a particular diet. We were hunter-gatherers or whatever, and then we got into agriculture in the early days. And we used to eat whole foods. So we used to eat as you were mentioning, wheat and barley. We eat fish and some meat that was hard to catch. So most of our foods were 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 whole grains and fibre. And this is what we have evolved to eat. Now, in the 1960s, food processing was really developed to make our food last longer, have a longer shelf life. Um, and then as we've become more accustomed to eating that, then we start to eat fast foods, which are, which we really like, but that are not good for us at all. And these have a long shelf lives. They're highly processed and they're very inflammatory. They're high in sugar. They're high in saturated fats. And they're really high in these things that then grow out particular kinds of bacteria in our gut. So we then lose diversity in our gut. These bacteria start to dominate. And then um, they start to produce, they produce pro-inflammatory factors that then drive um, inflammatory disease that's that's prevalent today that we did not get before processed foods. So, for example, asthma, that has doubled or trebled in the population since we started processing food and eating these Western diets. The Good Gut Anti-Inflammatory Diet also contains recipes from Australian author and chef Fast Ed Halmagi. How did all this science make its way into Fast Ed's recipes? How we constructed this was we developed all the science behind what we're talking about and what things we would eat that would we would consider part of a healthy diet. And then we came up with all of these different things that are good parts of a healthy diet. And there's a big list, long list of them in the book. And then what we did was we gave that list to Fast Ed and we didn't give him any instructions and he just assimilated those those ingredients and came up with a whole list of recipes. And you look at those recipes and they're fantastic. And you think, oh, I'd love to eat that. And you can do that every day. And this is the big point about the book 
is if you understand the science behind all of this and understand why we need to eat these things, that really helps you think about what you buy at the supermarket and then what you can construct into your diet to keep you healthy. Phil, thanks so much for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. It's been great. Thank you very much for your interest and uh, enjoyed talking to you. I've been talking to Professor Phil Hansborough about his new book, The Good Gut Anti-Inflammatory Diet. It's published by Pantera, and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. This Good Reading podcast was brought to you by Book People Gift Cards. Share the joy of reading with a Book People gift card. To find out more, visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au.